0: Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Hills to Die On, Part 5, God's, recorded Sunday, October 9th, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. Here we are, we're talking about Hills to Die On, and we're really coming down to the crucial point where Jesus does everything for us. And... We're going to see today two men who are at the crossroads of their life, and they don't even know it well. They probably know it, but it's for different reasons than they think, because they've got to make a decision. Will it be the crowd? Will it be the culture? Or will it be the king? Will I, will I opt for truth or the temporary? Will it be big G God in my life? or the little g-gods. Uh, Spencer's baptism today was really beautiful, and what you need to know about Spencer is he walked in the door today, and God moved him, and he, he said, you know, in, in essence, he said, Spencer, this is your day to make me the king of your life, and today he made that decision, and I, prayerfully, some of you may do that today. That's why we're here to help you to see that Jesus is real, and that, you know, he is the king, and we're gonna see two guys, and let's pick it up in Mark chapter 15. As it, 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 the story tells the story. We, I don't need to go too far with that. Mark 15, verse 1, very early in the morning. So this is done in dark. This is done in secret. Jesus has been in their custody for hours and hours overnight. They've already brutalized him. They've already judged him. And uh, so very early in the morning... <clears throat> the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. They know what they're going to do. Now, let me talk to you about culture for a minute. In every age, there are cultural trendsetters. In, in AD 33, the cultural trendsetters were the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sanhedrin. They told people how to live their lives. They showed them in their own way what life should be like. They made the rules. They set the tone for religion. They set the tone for moral standards. And I think you probably know this. I think it's kind of obvious, but in the last 75 years or so in our culture, powerful enemies have, not enemies, but entities have have changed the tone of culture. Some are enemies, some are not. But there's political movements, there's political parties, there's mass media, there's entertainment conglomerates who have really taken the tone of culture and, and set it for us. Uh, so, you know, individuals who were in an American family in the year 1950, for instance, that type of family model would be so much different than today, for example. And definitely, things have turned for Christianity in the last 75 years. Like 50, 75 years ago, Christianity was considered an asset to culture and society. Now, many people see Christianity, many, many people, even in our country, as antisocial and even an enemy, even something that needs to be removed from culture and education and uh, politics and the church so that's precisely how culture drivers do things these chief priests the pharisees the judicial branch of of the people the wider political party it's how they view jesus that's why they brought him in secret they knew that he would not yield to them and he had to be taken out because he'd become too popular they charged him with something called blasphemy, and how they define that would be basically that he claimed to be God, and that for, therefore that makes him, uh, makes him culpable for the death penalty, okay? Even though Jesus really had not committed blasphemy, they had to recruit false witnesses to claim that. Yes, Jesus knew he was God. He claimed to be God, but he didn't commit blasphemy in the sense that their law said, so here's what it said. They bound Jesus, they led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate, who's that? You've seen the movies. You've watched The Chosen, whatever, and you have this image. Well, that's he hasn't come up yet, but you have these images of, of who this Pilate, this Roman guy in a toga with gold leaves in his behind his ears, and I don't know, he gets up in the morning and drinks wine, apparently, because he always has a big goblet, you know, and you know, so you, you have an idea of what you think he is. But who, Pilate is the prefect. He's the governor of the region. And he served under the Caesar, Tiberius. He only had one job. I mean, one basic job. Keep the peace in Palestine. That's it. If he fails that job, he loses his job, and maybe worse. Now, he did not live in Jerusalem. He, he, Jerusalem was a desert city. If you go there today, you'll say it's very dry, it's very deserty, it's kind of dirty. It's, it's, it's like, you know, living in Phoenix maybe, I don't know, but it's much smaller. No, he lived on the coast. <laughs> he lived in the Mediterranean. He lived, he lived on, in Caesarea, which was a beautiful seaside villa city, because that's what Romans do. They live in the nice places. Everybody else can live out in the desert. He'd come to Jerusalem because he needed to keep the peace. Because there was this preacher who had gained momentum and people were following him. And, and his soldiers had been telling him, hey, this Jesus is no joke. <laughs> this guy's doing some stuff. And and maybe he even heard from his soldiers, we like him, because he stands up to the Pharisees, who I don't think were very favorable with people like Pilate. And he stands up for us and he's even done some things for some of our people like he healed one of our centurion servants who had died he raised him from the dead really <laughs> so he probably he was probably curious but more importantly it's a jewish festival and he knew things were getting hot he needed to be there because if peace fails he fails and his career is over verse 2 jesus is brought before him are you the king of the jews asked pilate you have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? Don't you have anything for me? Aren't you going to defend yourself? But still, Jesus made no reply. And Pilate was amazed Again, there's this charge, and then and, and the Jewish leaders said, you know, Pilate, he's claiming to be a king, and that would be a problem with Pilate, because in Rome, there was only one king, and he was the Caesar. So he asked Jesus, what's your defense to this charge? Are you going to answer these charges? Why was he amazed? The reason he was amazed that Jesus didn't answer is this, because he knew, and so did Jesus, that Pilate was his last defense. There was nowhere to go after Pilate. It's either Pilate says yes or no to the crucifixion. It's life or death. Why didn't Jesus say anything in his own defense before Pilate? There's probably a lot of reasons. But you know what the most important reason is? He'd already made his defense He made it eight hours earlier. He made it on his knees in a garden. He made it before God when he said, God, if there's any way possible, Father, let this cup pass before me. And God said, no, you have to go to the cross. Father, let this cup pass before me. That's my defense. Remember that? And God says, no, you either go to that cross or Scott Jones goes to that cross or Marcella goes, or Sandy, or Alyssa, or Katrina, or Jose, or, or Mark, or whoever, you insert your name there, whoever you are. God made it clear in the garden, you take that cross, or they do. That was his defense. Verse 6, Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in an uprising. So there had been this political dust-up, and there had been some murders that occurred, and Barabbas was involved because he was going to be crucified for that. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did, which was to let some prisoner go during the festival. Now, who's this Barabbas? Well, again, we, we know what he was politically, but you know what truly what who Barabbas is? Barabbas is the poster boy for grace. That's who he is. He, he's, he's insert your name here, okay? He's one of these local revolutionaries who sought overthrow of Roman, of the Roman government, but and he probably would have been a hero to the people who were shouting for him to be released. Because he was like Robin Hood to them. Look, let's go ahead and read verse nine. "Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews?" asked Pilate. Because they'd asked for Barabbas, knowing that it was out of listen, self-interest that the Jewish pri- or that the, the chief priest had handed him over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Barabbas released instead of Jesus because they were the culture setters, and what they said goes, and people follow them. But Pilate saw between the lines, he knew what was behind this. He saw these guys with the power and the robes and the, and, you know, and the Twitter accounts saying, you know what, we want this guy, and we're going to make your life miserable if you don't give us what we want. Okay, so I, I think Pilate, he's like, I'm not religious. I don't care about your religion. But he saw their envy. He didn't see any Roman laws that Jesus had broken, apparently. But he knew the reason that they wanted him dead was because he wasn't doing things their way. And that's pretty common, isn't it? Because he wasn't playing by their rules. Let's read ahead. So verse 12 what shall I do then with the one you called King of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? Crimes he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And then here's the crucial thing to hear about Pilate. If you You can have sympathy for Pilate. You can think, well, he was caught in a bad place. Look at this. Wanting to satisfy the crowd. Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged, and he handed him over to be crucified. Let's talk about the crowd for a second, the crowd. Pilate's in a tough spot. He'd moved to Jerusalem for a week to quell the possible uprising. And to deal with this peasant from Nazareth who was stirring up everybody, and to sh- you know, shut down the, 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 the political or excuse me, the religious people who were trying to create some kind of a stir, he, he had to take control, and, and not only that, so he has this situ- situation brewing there, and he, he has only one goal. And one role, that's to keep the peace. And then he has his conscience bothering him because he doesn't see anything in Jesus that's worth the death penalty. And then on top of that, Matthew says that his wife sent an urgent message with him to him concerning Jesus. And the note begged him, don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. That's Matthew that wrote that. Gosh, I mean... Now he's he's going to go home and have Mrs. Pilate on his case. It's a bad day, it's a bad day at the office, it's a bad day at home now. It's a terrible day for him. And I have no sympathy at all for him because it shows so much weakness. I mean, because he let the loud voices win. Pontius Pilate's brief appearance in scripture is full of tragedy for him because he ignored his conscience. He cowered to the, to the religious leaders to keep the peace and to the crowd who is, you know, out of political expediency, he followed their direction to put Barabbas in safety and put Jesus on a cross and, and even his wife. <laughs> I mean, I love my wife, but there's times when you say, yeah, I get it, but no, not today, Right? Let me briefly point out through these stories of Pilate and Barabbas several touch points that apply directly to me and to you. Because Jesus stands before each one of us just like he has before Spencer today, who showed us something today about his trajectory. And the question is, will I worship him or will I crucify him? Will it be the big G God who takes control, or will I just keep bowing to these little gods who push me around and manipulate me? And you're thinking, well, that's pretty dramatic. Well, Pilate knew who Jesus was. I believe that. I believe he had heard plenty about Jesus. It's a very small region. He he didn't have Twitter. He didn't have a television with cable news blurring 24-7. He didn't have that. He didn't have social media, or if he did, it moved very slow, but he had seen a number of hits on Jesus. He knew that he was stirring things up, and he even had heard, I'm sure, about some of the miracles and what he'd done with the crowds, and I have no doubt that the Jewish leaders had been in his, ears, in his ear before this. His, this man's a revolutionary. He's threatening our religion. He's threatening to tear down our temple. He's threatening to take control. Crowds flock to him by the tens of thousands. We're losing losing control. You've got to do something about this man. And by the way, he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be God. And so the the pressure that Pilate's under is real because he had one job, to keep the peace. Peace. But here's where Pilate went wrong. And here's where thousands upon billions of people throughout time will fail. Pilate feared the crowd more than the Christ. He feared that his status, his power, his position would be threatened. He would lose control. So he caved, wanting to satisfy the crowd. He made his decision. And I want to say this about Pilate and you and me. This story right now is not about Pilate. It, was, it stopped being about Pilate the moment he said crucify him. This story is here for you and me to decide. Being found in this particular crowd, this crowd, like the church, where, you know, it's easier for me to stand up and sound all great and big and high and mighty about Jesus, but how am I doing out there in the culture? Like, how am I, how are you doing when it comes to the, the cul-de-sac you live on? Or the, you know, in the locker room that you're in after the big loss, and you're, everyone else is doing stuff, and you're deciding, or you're at the party, and stuff's getting passed around, and you know full well that that stuff is not healthy for you or your family and your future, and yet, because of the crowd, you're, you're doing it. How's it going for you? When you represent him before others. How passionate are you for him in the classroom, in the living room, in the fire truck, in the restaurant? Do I fear the crowd more than the Christ? Going with the crowd usually is the expedient thing. It's usually the safer thing to do in the moment. Usually in the immediate sense, it makes the most sense. And yet, there's a Jesus. There's a Jesus who knows you and calls you and loves you. And now it's Pilate's turn. And he chooses safety over right. And I will say this too about Jesus. This is at least what I've found about Jesus. There's never a middle ground. Like it's not like, oh, you can just be neutral with me when it comes to Jesus. It's either, yeah, you're on my side or you're not. In anything I'm doing, it's you have to make decisions based on who Jesus is. Crowds choose what's best for them at the moment, usually. For them, what was best for them in the moment was Barabbas. And Barabbas was kind of a Robin Hood, really. He was a revolutionary trying to fix a problem they had, the Romans. So that's why they went. That's why it was Barabbas, Barabbas, we want Barabbas. Who is setting the cultural values in your life? Who are you accepting and not accepting? Think about the last 75 years. What was celebrated in 1950? What was encouraged? What was applauded, cheered for, booed at in 1950? By and large, the person, the family that was trying to follow God's word and live their lives with that kind of morality were accepted and even celebrated. You'd have to say today that by and large, that's not true. Now the word of God and those who choose to live by it are considered somewhat heretical. And certainly mean-spirited at times, and maybe even hateful. That's the word that many people use about Christianity. And sometimes we have to admit we've been that way, and that's our fault. But we can't dismiss the fact that culture has changed everything. Like Pilate's like, I know his title, I know the story, I know what he teaches and preaches, but I'm going to go with culture. Culture. Barabbas, culture, crowd. Barabbas, culture, crowd. Pilate is the poster boy for caving to culture. Barabbas is the poster boy for grace. And he is the poster child for you insert your name here. He knew he was guilty. He was, he, he knew that when he stood before Pilate and Pilate said, let him go. He, I, I believe he immediately knew there's someone over there who doesn't deserve what I'm what I was supposed to get, my punishment. And Pilate's the first one. Like, of all of us, he's the first one who got lenus, leniency when he deserved punishment. I mean, I look at Barabbas and I think, what a lucky guy he was. No, he wasn't lucky. He like every one of us here. Jesus inserted himself in his place and he took my fear, my compromise, my apathy, my murderous spirit about life. Barabbas benefited, the guilty was freed. Barabbas is the representative of God's grace being poured out on every one of us. Every one of us. Barabbas walked away free. Did Barabbas see the light? I don't know. I mean, I'd like to be able to say, hey, I want to tell you the story about the next 40 years of Barabbas' life, how he was contrite and how he recognized that Jesus was his Savior and how he was with the apostles on the in the upper room on the day of Pentecost and how he received the gift of the Holy Spirit like they did and how he moved out into the hinterlands of Germany and took the gospel. We don't have that story. I think for good reason. Do you know what the reason is? Because its story isn't put here for Barabbas. The story is placed here for me and for you, to remind us, we are he. Jesus died for us in our place. And that puts me in a tension point, and I have to decide. Lord, today we we just come to another crossroads, like these two men did, and like that crowd did, like those Pharisees did, like the apostles did, who are now running and hiding in the city somewhere and afraid they were going to get crucified themselves We're put in this place of making a decision are you the king or not and if you are what am I going to do about it Lord I just want to pray as we enter into this time when we celebrate your decision to take our place that we won't miss that that we won't miss that the judgment that should have fallen on Barabbas really is the judgment that should fall on us. And truthfully, without you, we go to that cross. We face the judgment. We face the scorn. We face the ridicule. We face the separation that Jesus experienced when he went to that cross, separation from a God who loves him. Lord, thank you for Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who stepped into our mess and made everything right. It's in his name we pray, amen. I did some research this week. I wanted to find out about more about crucifixion. I've been studying this for 50 years, you know, but still, you know, I was just trying to figure it out. I don't know when they started crucifying people, but the Assyrians did it. Uh, the Babylonians did it. The Persians did it, the Medes did it, the Romans did it. Thousands upon hundreds of thousands of people were crucified before Jesus was. And Barabbas was just another one. But the thing is, when you're the one, the reason all of those other people had been doing it, and it was always political, almost always political, the reason was, it was the worst way they could think of to kill somebody so that they could send a message. And the message is, you do what we say, or you're gonna die that way. And that man, he was sitting in a cell somewhere in Jerusalem that day thinking, I I think sweating blood himself, because this could be the day. And he walked out on that platform, and he heard his name being shouted, and Pilate said, not him, him. Imagine how it would have felt. Him? Not me? Why him? Why not me? If you're feeling that way, what are you waiting for? Why won't you step into that grace? Spencer just decided today, I can't wait any longer. We have a service coming up in a few minutes. You could be the next one who says, no longer am I gonna be that traitor. Instead, I'm gonna be the one who receives grace. I'm gonna accept what God's done for me through Jesus. We have a morning of baptisms coming up in about three weeks. You don't have to wait till then, but you can step out then too. Where you say, no longer am I gonna be in a, in a cell of, of guilt and shame and living in a life that's deserving, quite frankly, of the punishment that." I've earned. And just by the sheer grace of God, I'm going to step out of that cell. I'm going to be buried with Christ, raised to walk with him in a new life. Barabbas. Barabbas. Scott. Marcella. Lori. Jose. Insert your name here. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11, 30 a.m. in Grand Island and at ten fifteen a.m. in Broken Bow, on Facebook Live, and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org